Newlywed Game and Jeopardy are switching times, starting Monday on Channel 7. And now it's time for the Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi Holiday Extravaganza! Part 2. Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Clink. And I am Troy Harkin, and I am so excited to be back here for part two of our holiday extravaganza. Are you sort of uh, all set for this uh, upcoming, well, virtually it's here, this holiday season. You better be ready for it, are you, David? Yeah, and I've got my hot chocolate. Um, I wish I had some Ovaltine right now. I remember drinking that as a kid in the late 60s and early 70s. I'm not sure how many of our fans or whether or not, Troy, if you remember. I think I think you mentioned just last week or two that you were actually drinking some Ovaltine when yeah. I was talking to you. Yeah, I am an Ovaltine guy, and I actually have my Ovaltine right here. And I have to say that I was uh, influenced by Christmas Story. I did not grow up with it. And I know some people are are not that fond of it, but I find I, I like a lot of cream as opposed to milk in my Ovaltine. I just find it makes it thicker. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Ovaltine? A crummy commercial? Son of a bitch. But speaking of Christmas story, I have a quick question for you, David, that sort of, that re, re, it, it, um, <laughs> I need words, David. My question <laughs> revolves around uh, genre, but also Bob Clark's film Christmas Story. So what is Ralphie on Christmas Story's last name? Or maybe what should his last name be? What do you think? I'll give you a clue mm-hmm. in a second if you don't, if you're, if you're blank a bit. Wouldn't be Macquarie, would it? No. no. But here, here's a clue. His father is played by Darren McGavin. Oh, not Kolshak. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if if Ralphie was Kolshak's son and he oh was a mini God. a mini Night Stalker? Oh, fudge! That's that's what has had me excited this week. Also, I imagine Darren McGavin going to work, like when you see him leave the house after his battles with the furnace. And then he, he goes to work at that newspaper and does his detective work as a as a night stalker. Wouldn't that be like the best thing in the world? Or what if uh, Ralphie grows up to be the night stalker? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And his father was Darren McGavin as, as his fo- playing the role of his father. That would be crazy. Yeah. And and his mom then also wasn't she in Close Encounters? Isn't she's I think she's the mom of the little boy who uh who goes off or was that D Wallace? I, I often confuse those two. I'm pretty sure it was Melinda Dillon, but anyway, we can figure that one out. So uh I tell you, even though I'm all geared up for Christmas, I'm just getting over my my sort of post Beatles get back high that I've been on. This Peter Jackson three-parter that he's created for Disney on the final days of the Beatles, or at least the the 
final days of them completing the Let It Be album and Rooftop Concert, man, I have never seen anything like this. Like as, as a music fan, the closest thing that I can think of that's been put out there was maybe when the Beatles themselves did the Beatles anthology in 94, I guess that was. Nothing this comprehensive. It's, it's insane and it's so good. And we were all a little bit ready for disappointment because we thought, well, Disney is doing it. So it's just going to be a Disneyfication of the Beatles story. And I really shouldn't go on too much about that because that's not what we do on this show. But what we do is genre and Peter Jackson, the director of the Lord of the Ring trilogy, has also been talking about something I had heard a bit about in the past, which is how the Beatles themselves were looking to do a Lord of the Ring films, film for their third film after Help in the mid-60s. Um, and uh, they actually approached Tolkien's estate and they were sort of denied rights because he was afraid it was just going to be some, you know, he didn't know much about the Beatles and um, he, uh, he basically denied their rights. Um, but this is the way it was imagined by the band. John would play Gollum. Paul would play Frodo. George would be Gandalf and Ringo would play Sam, which is, I guess it's own kind of little dream casting there, David. Mm. What do you think of that? I like it. And I yeah. did like um, Help and The Hard Day's Night. Um, I'm trying to remember which one. I, I think it, I'm trying to remember if it's Help or Hard Day's Night. I like that. Whichever one came out first. Yeah, that's the black uh, and white one. Yeah. Uh, was it Hard Day's Night was their first yeah. Beatles film? Yeah. Yeah, I and love then, that one. Yeah. It's funny because I like them both and I, I don't know if I could choose. Help, I always liked because it reminded me of things of like Get Smart and then the British films or the British comedies <laughs> that I would come up to later on, like all of the Python work. Um, so, um, and, and I guess my last little Beatles tidbit is that um, the Beatles with their humor always used to put out these Christmas messages for their fan club. And I might at some point throw in a little... Uh, Beatles Christmas message Easter egg at some point. We'll see. We'll see if I get around to that. But I think what we're really going to be focusing in on is holiday films that are yep. genre related, eh? Yeah. And um, and after this, because once we get this episode uh, finished, Alexa is going to help me get my tree up. Woo! But anyway, I, I beg um, your pardon. Is that what you so, call it? So this is our sixth episode of season two. Uh, today's episode is the Holiday Extravaganza Part 2, Movies with a Primary Focus on Black Christmas and Krampus. We're recording it on Saturday, November 27, 2021, and scheduled for broadcast on Saturday, December 25th. Um, we do not have a special guest for this episode. Uh, before we get into this episode, uh, Troy will give us a spoiler alert. Here it goes. I'm going to push the button. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Thanks, Troy. We are recording the session via Zoom. I think the narrator from Frosty the Snowman said it best when he said, there's a certain magic that comes with the very first snow. For when the first snow is also a Christmas snow, well, something wonderful is bound to happen. On to the holiday extravaganza part two. So, Troy, if you want to tell us about 
because you're the one that introduced me to the idea of watching the Krampus. I had heard when it had come out, but I just never watched it. You said, you've got to see it. This is one of the things I think you mentioned to me is one of your, on the list of films, there's that and black Christmas and the Christmas. There's a few ones that you watch every year. So why don't you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, like most of us, there are, you know, non-genre films at Christmas time that we like to watch regularly, like Christmas Carol, It's a Wonderful Life. And actually, because of TCM, I've recently added um, Shop Around the Corner, which is also a James Stewart, Jimmy back then, Jimmy Stewart uh, film that fits in nicely. And it's it's fairly secular, but it's it's, you know, seasonal and... Nice Little Love Story, which actually was retold as um, You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Um, but Krampus, yeah, it's a it's a nice, twisted little film. The kids Merry Christmas! <laughs> Looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. This is delicious, honey. A little dry. Well, mine's delicious. Mine's dry. Do you want to trade? It's, the it's Christmas. It's Christmas. How are we going to survive Christmas with 12 people stuck in a house with no heat and no electricity? Or food. There's plenty of leftovers, Howard. Beer it is. It's the weirdest thing. There's no cars, no people. How long can this keep up? We heard something on the roof. Hell's this? Saint Nicholas is not coming this year. Instead, a much darker ancient spirit. Those are hooves. Elk or a goat? What kind of goat walks on its hind legs? His name is Krampus. He and his helpers did not come to give, but to take. Everybody, hold on to each other. He is the shadow of Saint Nicholas. It's Christmas. Nothing bad's gonna happen on Christmas. Krampus was made in 2015. It's uh, directed and co-written by Michael Doherty, who also directed the Halloween film Trick or Treat. Um, Supposedly, Doherty really wanted to uh, make a film that was reminiscent of the Amblin films of the 1980s, um, particularly Gremlins. Um, he also had uh, like dark family films like uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka in mind. He wanted to have you know something that everybody could watch but could still be a little bit unsettling, like Gremlins. And so he really fought for getting a PG-13 rating. Often, you know, directors when they're making horror films will go the other way. The studio will want them to keep it PG-13, but they'll want to make it darker and bloodier. Um, so his goal was to make it dark and disturbing, but not too bloody so they could maintain their PG-13 rating. Um, anyway, so I saw this, um, I guess when it came out, it looked like it was going to be uh, 
pretty much dark and disturbing yet fun. Um, so I went with uh, my best friend and uh, we fell in love with it. We, you know, we were like cringing and laughing at the same time. And from that point on, we decided that we wanted to uh, make this a Christmas tradition. So he and I watched that film uh, at least once a year now, um, at some point before Christmas. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was, so you've only seen it, uh, like this year was your first viewing, David? Yeah, um, I somehow missed it and, um, and you had recommended it. So, and we're doing this Christmas uh, episode based on, on movies. And I thought that Krampus and Black Christmas, we'll talk about other ones too, of sure. course, but, but they're very much right in the holiday and right in that, that time. You see it right in the title. Krampus is kind of more of a European kind of, or, or Eastern European mythical kind mm-hmm. of thing and black christmas already has christmas in the title and we'll get into that a lot but with krampus i was so impressed like like at the beginning and just watching it through up to about halfway three quarters of the way through the film i was thinking wow this is fantastic like it's just got the exact horror that i like i'm one of those people that's more of an alien fan and aliens right. um, i like that kind of disturbing kind of of thing or whatever it is that and also from black christmas the, the thing you do not see um and that that even to me adds more tension and more more power more evil uh, puts me more on the edge of my seat so watching krampus and the effects and everything that goes on in the first half or three quarters of the film is so strong and so good. I was thinking, how is this not considered the, the classic or the great film of its time? Like, like the, the, the one that it just somehow did something like shape of water and parasite and some of these get out and some of these film, the others and so on that have really ra- raised the roof and kept strong throughout the entire film and just leaves you with, you know, the sixth sense and so on. Like these films are just of that level. Yeah. Um, so Krampus for me was that level halfway to three quarters of the way through the film, every little bit, every little scene and, and, and every, everything in it was just brilliant up until it lost me when it became more gremlinsy or became just went a bit wonky. And even those parts were done. Well, I just took me out of the film and didn't, seemed like that was a film that was promising it felt like a different film it just changed at the three-quarter mark or an hour a bit into the film it just when they go into the attic and they see all these things they're still done wonderfully and the effects and just what it does and how everything works is still really good but it just to me was a different film i checked the ratings on it on imdb it was given the 6.2 um and black christmas was 7.2 and i i do even though i don't entirely believe in how ratings and everyone has their own personal experience with film you know things like the hush episode which is my favorite dramatic genre episode of all time is like a 9.8 um if you look at the absolute but 2001 a space if you look at just all the great things out there they're all rated very highly and and you get enough ratings you get a sense that that is where it belongs so i can see it being a 6.2 but it's a it, but i think that's low I think right. it's more like a seven or seven point five. I I don't think it's on the level of Black Christmas, um, 
but there's just so much good in Krampus. It is for yeah. Krampus. It just took me a bit out with that, but then it comes back. It just doesn't go bad. And then, it, and then it becomes awful. Like in the Howard, the duck film, um, which was actually pretty good up until that monster, that, that, that creature, the, the, the bad guy shows up, which is about 10 or 15 minutes in. And then it just becomes unwatchable. Um, this one, even after this part that takes it away from me, that, that I, I lose the sense of it, it comes back and it right. becomes good again. So Krampus, for me, is a good film, worth watching, and I would rate it more like a 7.5 or an 8. I wouldn't rate register as low as 6.2, but it does, you know, Black Christmas to me <laughs> is a superior film oh. um, on many levels. But I can certainly see your point that you, like, you, you appreciate Krampus. Yeah, and I mean, I do feel like they're doing and trying to do two very different things, uh, and I'm happy with what they do both uh, achieve. Um, so with, uh, with Krampus, one of the things that I guess immediately secured a, a soft spot in my heart was its quirkiness. Mm. Um, you know, uh, we've talked in the past, especially with Michael Rowe, about, you know, the difficulty in having a film that includes humor and horror. It's a, it's a really tough blend. And the films that can do both, uh, it's a very, very short list. You know, I would put mm. American Werewolf in London in there and uh, Evil Dead and a, a very few others. Um, this is a, a lot like that, but it also, for me, has a weirdness at points that it's like almost like uh, Lynchian, and I'm a huge David Lynch fan. So uh, to get these weird sort of inexplicable things, like I was thinking about something you and I talked to recently, how how um, I think for you, when you see Krampus on the roof for the first time, it took you mm. out of it a little bit, right? Um, no, 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 that, that was fun. That, that, the only thing that I didn't like as much was that for the realism of it, even though obviously this is a movie, the sense that this thing, based on its height, based on how big it is and how heavy it is, it running across these rooftops and it jumping from one rooftop and landing on another would do a lot more damage and would do other stuff. But that didn't take right. me out of it. It okay. was, I thought that the whole scene with it, you, you see these snowmen, you see the Krampus character not in full sight behind things, you see the trees moving, you see it going from from rooftop to rooftop, following this girl as she's trying to get home. That was brilliant. Like, like this is really high-level and brilliant horror, and I thought it was just fantastic. Like, all of that, you know, when they go to, to find this vehicle that's been destroyed and all those scenes, that, and one of the most powerful or emotional, and I appreciate the fact that the film is something that you, you a young kid can uh, watch, I think, Um is when the guy stands up, like you've got this family of people coming over and that's the idea of the family where you have to put up with people that are just very different politically, emotionally and, and react in different ways, but they're also real living, breathing human beings. And the thing where the, 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 the father who they don't think stands up, stands up and saves the guy who's the tougher guy um, was great. I, I was, I thought that was excellent. Yeah, and I was afraid, you know, on first viewing, that it it was going to devolve into something like a parody of um, Christmas Vacation, 
because the dynamics as the families are coming together feel very much like that. Um, and it feels like we're going to be dealing with caricatures, which we're not. And I made the note that uh, like uh, the series Ted Lasso, the, the story begins and you think you're dealing with characters as tropes, but as the story goes on, they get fleshed out and you end up caring caring for all of them. Nobody is sort of like a two-dimensional character. We we end up sort of liking all of them and, and not wanting to see any of them go. And speaking of seeing any of them go, spoiler here, as we've mentioned, uh, when the teenage girl is the first one to go of the family, I was sh- sort of shocked. And what that said to me was anything can happen in this film now. We've just seen basically a child die. <laughs> and we know that there are what? There's four in the in the visiting family including a baby and then there's sam who is sort of the main character of the film who's i I guess he's about 12 or so um and his daughter or not his daughter his sister who uh, who we've seen die at the hands of krampus and his minions uh early on so um you know for me along with the surrealism they sort of build up early on that anything can happen um, and you can go from sort of screaming one second to laughing your ass off another. Um, for example, with the uh, uh, the gingerbread man, and I fucking love the gingerbread man. Oh, we should mention too, by the way, just to give you a bit of a picture here. Uh, the cast is excellent because it's it's a mix of people who have done comedy as well as drama. Um, so. MJ is uh, the main kid. He's Max Engel. Adam Scott is his dad. Uh, his name's um, Tom. Tony Collette, who I don't know why she doesn't like. I, I want her to have an Oscar, and particularly for her os- for her uh, horror work, because I find she does incredible work within the horror genre. Uh, Tony Collette is his mom. Uh, uh, David Ketchner. Um, who you may remember is in Anchorman and The Office. He played, uh, oh my God, what is his name in, in The Office? Champ Kind. He is Champ Kind, the sports reporter. Whammy! Um, Allison Tolman uh, is Linda, the sister of Sarah and aunt of Max, and she was brilliant in both uh, the Fargo TV series and Castle Rock. Conchata Farrell played uh, the Aunt Dorothy. Uh, and others, but it's a stellar, stellar cast. Were you happy with the uh, the performances, David? Yeah, I, I very much like them. Um, and you did. Um, I do like this kind of thing in horror. There's a couple of things. One is when you start watching something like Black Christmas or this film, you start to wonder, uh, or um, The Hills Have Eyes, or those kinds of films, and you think, okay, these are your cast of characters. Um, uh, I remember Elisha Cuthbert in House of Wax and stuff like that, the remake, of course, from the Vincent Price film. And yeah. you think you've got these cast of characters, you've got this group, and then you start thinking, okay, I know the type of film I'm watching. Which ones, one or ones, are going to be alive at the end of the film? So that's one of the things I always think about is is that aspect. Um then there was the other, the another aspect which I've since now forgotten, um, so I may have to get back to it if I remember. But that's one one sense is who is going to actually survive, who is the strong, and sometimes just the unexpected 
um, person. Same thing with Alien. You've got this gr- group, and there's a fair number of them, like six or eight or, or so, that, that that are all these different characters. Same thing with Aliens. And you think, okay, by the end of the film, is it going to be just one person and their cat? You know, uh, right. <laughs> who's going to somehow survive it? Yep. Um, now, I know that we always, we have given our spoiler alert. I'm going to talk about the end of the film, but I'm not going to spoil it because I think it's got a particularly um, strong ending and an ending that is, well, I'm not going to say any more about that, but I'll say this. Uh, the scene towards the end of the film where Max wakes up on Christmas morning, I found it to be pure Christmas story. We're referencing Christmas story a little bit through this episode. Not that it had Kolchak Night Stalker in it, but um, just the look of it. Um, it was almost the stuff of mat shots where uh, we see Ralphie wake up and look out his bedroom window and see sort of the winter wonderland outside and you feel like everything's going to be okay. Um, that is definitely echoed as Max wakes up and looks out his window. Um, I will add another thing from the end of the film too. It's sort of an Easter egg type of thing. Uh, In the film's final shot, we see a number of snow globes and supposedly among these snow globes are uh, one of the psycho house and one of the overlook hotel from the shining. So I guess that's an Easter egg thing that you have to, uh, you know, be, be willing to, uh, pause and and maybe uh, zoom in if you have a dvd player with a remote that will allow for that um but yeah i i find the film is is a lot of fun it's a nice escape um it has some weirdly feel feel good moments um as well as some like scare the shit out of you moments and that's why i like it it's basically a, a good roller coaster ride and it seems as a result uh, appropriate for the season and, and those kinds of things where you have a stand you know like, like yeah. what you do is you have a moment where your characters wh- whatever the film is as long as it's, it's these kind of horror films where you're being uh, attacked or or there's a situation and you finally have to say you know what we have to make a stand we have this point and no further you have to board up board up the the windows you have to grab whatever weapons or whatever makeshift things that you can pokers whatever it is and you have to say okay i'm standing up for this or you have to be the character from game of thrones who says i'm going to fight with the living i am not going to just go into that that good night um i'm going to uh, make that decision whether whatever happens happens but i am not going to just cower and let this thing you know attack me while i'm sleeping or while i'm cowering in a corner and kill me i'm actually going to give my best and try to you know save myself and others yeah and i'm sure people get tired of me talking about stephen king but that is the essence of all of stephen king's work um to stand and be true in fact uh, you probably heard this on the audio uh tape with on writing but the supplemental material at the end when joe hill was talking he said i don't get it some people you know say that um that my father writes about fear and he said my father does not write about fear my father writes about bravery you know he writes about standing and being true no matter what you're facing yeah Yeah. Um, I i thought that was a great point 
Black Christmas. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Rated R. Yeah, Bob Clark shot this film in Toronto. It's released in 1974. Um, and you can still, if you live in the Toronto area, visit the house. It's at 6 Clarendon Crescent in the Casa Loma area. And I would actually, I've always wanted to do that. Um, Clark had done a couple of other um, horror films prior to this, including uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. He went on to do the other Christmas classic, Christmas Story. So this thing, I love doing the double bill of, of Black Christmas and Christmas Story in one sitting because you get the whole gamut of it. Um, he also did Porky's. Um, so, yeah, the basic premise, uh, it's, it is an early modern slasher film that ended up ended up influencing uh, Carpenter and his whole Halloween franchise. Um, now, I heard this in some supplemental material. I can't give you the, the source, though. I wish, wish I could recall. But basically, um, Carpenter was so taken with Black Christmas and its use of POV camera of the killer, who you, in, in the case of Black Christmas, you never see the killer, um, that he wanted to... He really wanted actually Clark to do a second Black Christmas, but uh, he said, you know, no, I think I'm going to move on and do some other things. And that's when Carpenter picked up uh, the challenge to sort of continue on this sort of thing with Halloween because he was imagining, what if it wasn't Christmas now? What if it was Halloween? And and we go from there. Um, And you can see it. You can definitely see the impact that Black Christmas had on Halloween and then films after that um it was shot again around toronto so if you are in our neck of the woods same neck of the woods as david and i uh you'll recognize the u of t locations uh, the exterior of, of the hard house tower and the interior of hard house many of Kier delay's scenes are shot there and oh by the way here's your cast uh, olivia hussey just coming off of uh romeo and juliet uh, plays the lead of Jess. Uh, Peter is her uh, lover. Uh, he's played by Keir DeLay. John Saxon, who we love. So this show has had both John Saxon and Donald Pleasance. Uh, John Saxon plays Lieutenant Fuller. And there's an interesting story to that one. Edmund O'Brien was supposed to play the lieutenant. Um, and he arrived in Toronto, supposedly suffering from uh, dementia. And he had no idea where he was. He had no familiarity with the script that he had been given. Um, And the producer called up uh, Edmund O'Brien's agent and said, this man cannot do this movie. He's he's in no shape to do it. Um, So Edmund O'Brien returned and somebody called up John Saxon and said, could you do this film? We need you here ASAP. And I think it was less than three days later, John Saxon was in Toronto and he went directly from uh, the airport to uh, the set or not the set, but the location of his first scene, which is uh, when they're outside the nighttime exterior uh, shot when they're trying to get a uh, search party together. Uh, The sorority girls were played by Margot Kidder, uh, Lynn Griffin, uh, who is Claire, and she's the first to go, the famous body that we see in the rocking chair that's stuck uh, up in the attic with the uh, cellophane around her face. Uh, Art Hindle, again, uh, sort of a legendary Canadian actor. He's her boyfriend, Chris. 
Andrea Martin from SCTV fame plays Phyllis. And again, another classic Canadian actor, Doug McGrath, plays Sergeant Nash. Uh, you may know him from uh, the Canadiana film Going Down the Road. Um, and he has some great scenes. Marion Waldman is Mrs. McHenry. Uh, and James Edmund plays Mr. Harris and Claire's father. And, and on the last viewing, I thought... James Edmund is separated at birth with friend of the show, Ira Naiman. They, they look very much alike. Um, and the voices that we hear on the phone, because this is the premise, and I'm sorry it's taking me so long to get to the premise, but basically these sorority girls are being harassed by these obscene phone calls, and very soon afterwards, there's actually murders within the house, um, as one by one the girls are killed. But uh, the voices are very disturbing, and um, anyone who has seen The Exorcist will, will see some parallels to, to the voices that you hear from The Exorcist. But the interesting thing is, unlike you know, this uh, demonic entity being able to project multiple voices, um, somehow we get all these, these, again, multiple voices coming from the killer or the voice on the phone. And it's very disturbing and very explicit. And that's one of the reasons why remakes of this film have failed is it's not nearly as disturbing as uh, the content that we get from the phone caller in the original film. I make a pretty big clip. I'm like a tuning fork, baby. Not bad. Fuck my juicy cock. I'll come over I'll come over you and you can, you can suck it. Listen, you pervert, why don't you go over to Lamp of Kai? They could use a little of this. Oh, why don't you go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it? That'll give you a charge. I'll stick my tongue up your pretty pussy. You fucking creep! I'm going to kill you. Uh, anything you wanted to add, David? Yeah, seeing um, some of the, the people in it, as you said, a Canadian film, um, I'm sure, it, it uncredited, I'm sure it's him, unless I'm getting him completely confused, because one of the series that I loved was Seeing Things, uh, which started, uh, I think it's Louis Del Grand, or it might be Del Grandi, but I think it's Louis Del Grand and Martha Gibson, who I think were in real life, I think maybe husband and wife, but they certainly played that sort of or 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 um, uh, in a state of flux uh, during that series. But I remember a moment, there's a sort of a party at the sorority early on and sitting on the couch was someone that I was very sure was Louis Del Grand. But when you talk about some of the major actors and actresses in it, when you've got Margot Kidder, and this is some years before, of course, she stars in the Superman film, and, and which was a huge film in 79. So it's five years later. This is 74. You've got Andrea Martin, who this is 1974 and just within a year or two or so the sctv uh is uh, launched and she had been doing stand-up and and all the comments because i watched all the, the the various uh, uh things with the dvd and all the actors and actresses that were interviewed just talked about how funny and how much how fun it was that um andrea martin was and um 
she might actually be on our list of uh, beefcake and cheesecake in uh, February <laughs> because she was uh, quite beautiful in that in that movie. But with her there and Margot Kidder, and Margot Kidder, I think partly played a, a sort of almost like herself a bit. Um, but uh, as a character, that was one of the things that Bob Clark wanted was as many different, varied background and and different ways like with olivia hussey i just thought that okay is she putting on this voice is she just trying to talk like she's better than anyone else or just has this higher level of speaking or whatever and then i saw an interview with her later you know 10 or 20 years later about the role and basically it's her voice like she didn't do anything that was just her voice but with these different characters and what they're like and care delay that hair was crazy um <laughs> and him doing all of that that part where he's trying to do, he's trying to become, I guess, a concert pianist. And he's got a very important audition that he has to do well in. And seeing him after he had been in 2001, a space odyssey back in around 1968. So this is six years later. Um, I also almost feel, felt like some of these characters were a bit older. It's sort of like the original Buffy series that are supposed to be teenagers in high school and they're all 26 or something like that. And it felt almost like these people were a bit almost too old for their, for their roles. But I think it just works. Like they just have such a good, varied cast. There's a lot of, as you said, humor, like the, 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 the joke in the police station. Um, and no one can beat John, John Saxon. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to give a, a quick shout out to the director of photography, uh, Reg Morris. Considering he's doing that stuff, you know, handheld is is really remarkable to get those POV shots. And I was also struck by the um, the score by uh, Carl Zittri. Um, it's uh, it's great. It's uh, an atmospheric modern score. Um, and he also scored the holiday films Prancer and A Christmas Story, so another Bob Clark film. Uh, some great lines that I c- came across, too, was um, uh, one is the the house mother, Mrs. McHenry. Uh, I th- I'm trying to think who she's saying it to because it wouldn't be the father. Or maybe it is the father of Claire. But she says, these, these broads would hump the Leaning Tower of Pisa if they could get up there, which totally cracked me up. I almost did a spit take as, when I heard it. Um, then there's the classic line where, uh, as you mentioned, where um, the line where Margot Kidder uh, gives uh, the sergeant the uh, the phone extension. Could you give me the number at the sorority house, please? Yeah, sure. It's uh, fellatio two o eight eight o. Also, I love, love seeing that police station. That must be sort of near you, isn't it, David? The uh, Swanwick Avenue and Main Street near the Danforth. Uh, it must sort of be relatively in, in your ballpark, I would think. But Yeah, what- and that whole point of view stuff, like, like the, the, the whole thing, which is so, er- so affecting when you have the point of view 
view camera outside on the pathway in winter time looking in the house then as it moves towards the trellis and you can actually hear the conversations inside the house as this character is climbing it was just quite amazing yeah and it's one that still if i watch it on my own it will put me on edge even though i i know what's coming i find the pacing is perfect again i don't know if it would hold up with a modern audience you know that that has no attention span but um yeah there and there's little things where you think oh they're going wrong with this but uh they don't like for example oh my gosh oh, she's i think um olivia hussey is talking on the phone and at first you think she might be talking to cure delay and then if you see Kier Delay, though, and you're like, well, what are they doing? It's how can he be there? And then you realize, no, no, it's her mother she's speaking to. Um, you know, like, I, I, It's hard to explain why I love this film so much. Um, increasingly, I, I, I just love the films of the 1970s. I like how they're rough around the edges and gritty and not slick like films of the 80s or anything since the 80s. Uh, even the film stock, it looks gritty. I love seeing the fashions and the decor of the era. As, as, as I mentioned, I like seeing all these like uh, Toronto locations that I know so well. Um, we had uh, a friend of the show, Valentino Asenza, on. He spoke into the creepy atmosphere of, uh, of Hardhouse. Um, know that building really well, the one where uh, Claire's father is waiting out in front of the tower. And then we, all those scenes again with uh, Keir Delay. Um, also, the Varsity Arena, we see uh, Claire's boyfriend playing hockey inside of Varsity, which I've written many, many uh, essays inside of. Um, but one moment that kind of cracked me up, David, and I, I mentioned this to you, was how uh, uh, there's a bit towards the end, actually, in the, what we think is going to be the climax, and Sergeant Nash calls and says... The calls are coming from inside the house. And Jess looks towards the staircase then when he says that. And then he says inexplicably, don't go up there. Don't go up the stairs. <laughs> and, it, and I went from somehow being afraid, but also laughing at the fact that, you know, he says, don't go up there. <laughs> so I don't know if they took a line of dialogue out where she says, like, should I go up the stairs or something? But it's not there. She just looks at the stairs and he says, don't go up there. And I don't think he ever got into the house. Like he was uh, the, sort of like a desk sergeant, and he was always basically stationed in the police station unless someone told him about how the setup of the place was. Or you make an assumption that there's, in a sorority, there's one house phone. It's not like nowadays where everyone has a cell phone or there could be, you know, right. however the phones are set up. But um, there would be that this one, you know, these, seeing these old-style phones with the rotary Dials oh. and also the whole scene, the tension scene where they're trying to trace the call, and you right. have this person walking through all these switches and trying to, and that whole idea of it, which you can't even do anymore that extension, like um, Transylvania. Uh, call in the, oh, yeah, good. They used to use names of things, and then a yeah. number like before they went into the seven digit Yukon seven two three or whatever, yeah, exactly. And that, yeah. that kind of, I don't know when that finally got KO'd, but you'd almost think that by 74, when the film came out, there weren't many, unless that film itself is not really set in 74, it's more like set in 68 or 66, but it's just filmed in 70. I don't think they ever say the date, but I don't know if those extensions are that kind of number, because I remember my number from 
from um, uh, the early 70s, and it was a seven-digit, you know, with the, the 416 area code for Toronto. Um, uh, I just don't know when those yeah, when they uh, went extensions out. ended. Yeah. yeah. You know, one, one little thing that I noticed, I guess it could be considered an Easter egg, but um, obviously we're not playing Toronto as Toronto in the film. But um, you see in one scene when John Saxon pulls up, uh, the cop car says on the side, Bedford Police, which I thought was kind of cool because in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, that's Bedford Falls. Uh, so it's almost we get a little little Easter egg to another Christmas film. But I think my favorite scene in all of it is, is uh, Margot Kidder's death scene. Um, which has amazing editing and the just the intercutting between the carolers and just watching the carolers at the door. Yet behind her uh, somewhere, um, Margot Kidder's character is being killed by the, uh, the killer with uh, the crystal unicorn. Um, and just everything about that scene I found really frightening and, and you know, Hitchcockian in a way that didn't just look derivative. It it, it felt you know legitimately Hitchcockian. Um, so yeah, it's a film I can always go back to. And whenever I'm I'm fed up with too much of the phoniness and commercialism of Christmas, I can watch something that is a bit of a palate cleanser. It's like, well, this is still Christmas, but it's not the Christmas you're trying to sell me. But the idea of Carol, yeah. you know, that, you know that area and people going out and caroling. Um, I just don't know if there's, there's, you know, what parts of the States or Canada, there are still people that go around and do caroling. I mean, one of the big things, of course, at Christmas time or holidays is seeing those Christmas windows. Like you go down in Toronto and in Bay Street or Bloor and, and those areas and you, there's a specific stores that have those great displays. Um, and those are always the kinds of things that I would, I, I look forward to. Yeah. I was actually hoping to get down there during this Christmas season down to like the, the Eaton's window. Well, I guess not Eaton's anymore, but you know, along Young Street to those shops. Dream casting. Yeah. Dream casting, baby. Usually if we're dealing with a film, we will do uh, a dream cast in which we mention actors who did not play the roles that we would like to have seen in those roles. The twist this time is we're dealing with holiday roles that are iconic and we are taking people, either characters or actors from genre, and we're applying them to those roles. Let's start with the big man, Santa Claus. Those are big, big shoes to fill. David, who do you have playing the jolly man? Well, there's a lot of options, and there's a lot of great characters through time. I would, I, I would just thought I'd, what jumped out at me was Lance Henriksen, um, who was in, of course, Millennium, which we do need to do a podcast just on Millennium because it was one of those more shorter-lived but brilliant kind of a spin-off, but certainly by the creator of X Files with Lance Henriksen in it, who was also great, of course, in um, Alien. And many other roles. So, so he's a standout for me, just a great actor and someone that has a, a great uh, presence. So I would put Lance Henriksen as my Santa Claus. Nicely played. 
Well, I think I was likely going with the idea of filling the suit, first of all. Um, and uh, this may have been the first person that occurred to me, but I, I stuck with it and I like it. It's Tor Johnson, Tor Johnson playing Santa Claus. Uh, 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 Johnny. <laughs> I think he would do very well. He would be a scary though. Like, like just imagine <laughs> him with that ghoulish face at near yeah. the end of Plan Nine from Outer Space, and that being the guy that you have to sit on his lap yeah. asking for gifts. Well, I think it's like the subjective version of what what like a three year old sees when they're put on Santa. It's like they basically see Tor Johnson. Yeah, and but, not getting back to Christmas Story too much, but there's of course that scene where I think Santa pushes uh, the kid down the yeah the um slide <laughs> yeah the slow push with the foot to the face merry christmas ho 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 well that's what christmas is is a slow push from the <laughs> with the shoe to your face but um yeah so next we move on to Ebenezer Scrooge, Dickens' classic character. Who do you have for that, David? Well, one of my favorite actors is Jared Harris, who's been in a number of, of things, including A Game of Shadows, a Sherlock Holmes one where he plays Moriarty. And he's been in a bunch of other stuff. There was this one uh, which uh, the name forgets, I forget right now, but where it's set during the franklin expedition where they're taking boats across the uh, arctic or whatever it is and he's a ma major character in that um I, I like anything that jared harris um is in and then i was thinking of the malcolm reynolds character from firefly and and serenity um the actor is now in a show where he's a, a called the rookie where he's a police officer even though he's a bit older he somehow decided to become a police officer later in life and 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 that's the show he's in now but i think he would do a good job as um scrooge well that's interesting because i had nathan fillion in mind for for one of our other categories but i, I did not go with him um for my ebenezer scrooge i went with oswald cobblepot aka the penguin as scrooge Yeah, I forgot his uh, actual name. It's a great name. Um, I would vote for him. But anyways, um, yeah. Um, now, Penguin's been covered and played by so many people over the years. Is there, and it's hard to compare because even in TV shows and so on, there have been so many people that have played the Penguin. Who was your favorite uh, Penguin actor? Well, I mean, it it's very particular the way Danny DeVito plays him, but uh, I, I'm still a Burgess Meredith fan, so mm -hmm. I would probably go with Burgess Meredith. Um, I agree. Uh, I, I think they did a good job of, I think there was a TV series, I think it was called Gotham. Yes. And, and the actor that played the penguin in there, I thought was very good. Yeah, made a great young penguin. Yeah. We move on to, from Christmas Vacation, Clark Griswold. Um, I've got, and this person, this actor, other than Humphrey Bogart, has shown up in every list of every 
Dreamcast or Screencast or really? outside the box, outside the box cast or Schrodinger's cast. It was the most recent version of what we called it. But Jimmy Stewart uh, is basically shows up almost every time. And I was thinking he would be a good Clark Griswold. But I also thought John Krasinski is almost that character now. Yeah. I was also thinking years ago that if you think about the actors from the past that were famous that, that did great did a great job and were so connected with this type of role. And you think who are the current actors that are like them? Um, then I was thinking that Jimmy Stewart is almost like a Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks nowadays Definitely. is almost that kind of character, just like a George Clooney might be, you know, um, a Clark, uh, um, the guy from Grant? North by Northwest, Cary Grant, Grant yeah. kind of thing, like like that kind of thing, where you try to think who is the modern day equivalent, you know, who is the modern day equivalent of like yeah. an Errol Flynn or a Humphrey Bogart and stuff like that, like I, yeah. you know, like Johnny and Depp Hanks, is almost that. Yeah, go ahead. Hanks is definitely Stewart, and in, and not only in the range of performances and the likability factor, but man, the scripts, like both of those guys. Like the scripts are, are amazing. If they were baseball players, uh, they would be Ted Williams hitting 400. You know, it's like they only seem to get good scripts and do good scripts. Krasinski is a great call, by the way. I love Krasinski. And yeah, I could see that. Well, I went with uh, somebody fictional. I thought, who can I get who is sort of uh, who puts on being sort of a likable lump? who is um, clumsy. And I went with Clark Kent, at least the Clark Kent sort of performance by Christopher Reeve. He's sort of that, you know, bumbly, uh, I can almost see him doing the Chevy Chase, like falling over things routine to, to, you know, to distract you from the fact that he's actually the man of steel. So I went with Clark Kent. Hmm. Next now, we who's move. The next on your list. Uh, we have Buddy the Elf from the film Elf. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. Um, and uh, you can actually, there's a really good uh, um, sort of feature or documentary type thing on Netflix on the series, the movies that made us, they have uh, a couple of um, uh, holiday features and their one on elf is really good, really interesting. Um, so Will Ferrell played buddy, the elf in the original, who are you going to go with here, David? I'm going to go with Will Ferrell. Um, and one thing I do have to admit, I have seen commercials and I've seen bits and I've seen little things, you know, like where he's screaming and so happy because Santa Claus is going to be here, whatever it is, like the whole Will Ferrell thing as Elf, these little scenes that you see as commercials or little things that say, hey, watch Elf and they show a little scene and, and what have you. That's what I've seen of Elf. I've never seen the film. Um, and I have to at some point. I just, I do appreciate Will Ferrell. I like a lot of the stuff that he has done and... I'm a bit of a fan, but I just didn't think that this high-strung man-elf was something <laughs> that I wanted to sit through and watch for 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand from you and from others, that it is a film worth watching and that it is worth it. So I will hopefully maybe this Christmas season finally watch it. 
Yeah, that may be the film that won me over. I mean, I'm a huge Anchorman fan, but I think uh, Elf was the first one. And uh, you get Zoe Deschanel in it. You get Ed Asner as Santa. And James Kahn yeah, plays, plays his dad. Um, it's, a, it's a really great cast. Oh, sorry, I'm not going for James Caan. I'm just, I'm just trying to sell you on the film. Yeah, but I've written um, it in already in the spreadsheet, <laughs> so I'm afraid you have to own it now. Well, I think you're going to like my buddy, the Elf, because it's, it's very much outside the box. It's a little bit uh, Schrodinger's cast. Um, I went for Buddy the Elf. I went for Pennywise the Dancing Clown from It. Beep, beep, Richie. Come back anytime. I thought it would you know, give the film a little more edge than the one we, what that I know. <laughs> you don't know. You, you might think yeah. that's totally appropriate. And certainly James Caan playing Pennywise. A clown oh, better, yes. Um, all right. So we move on uh, to Krampus. I am going to say uh, for Krampus, um, the inspiration just struck me. Peter Dinklage as Krampus. Wow. Yeah. I want to see a badass, smaller size Peter uh, Krampus. Yeah. And he was great in that film. I'm trying to remember that what that film was, but it had to do with people fighting these video game things that were in Pixels. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it was called Pixels. I think it was. Um, that's, a, that's a crazy film. I, he's, he's done, uh, obviously, better work than that. Um but uh, for me, I have the thing from the Fantastic Four. I also got Hellboy, um, and this would be the Ron Perlman. Oh, um, that would be sweet. Uh, would actually work. In fact, you would almost think that the Hellboy himself as Krampus would work. Yeah, if I can have a second one, then I will say Casey Brown. Clancy Brown? Clancy Brown? Is that his name? Yeah, Clancy Brown. Yeah, Clancy Brown, not Casey Brown. Casey you can Brown. basically do anything. Clancy Brown can do anything. Yeah, Casey Brown was on um, The Friendly Giant. Okay. And we move on to The Magi, The Three Wise Men. So I got Iron Man, Batman, and Spider-Man. It's funny, because I was actually thinking of doing Tony Stark... And 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 Bruce Wayne because they're rich guys. They're guys who would might no no. Just thinking of it. Sorry, it's not what I went. Well, I'm with. writing it down already. <laughs> oh, I have to be very careful with what I say. Um, so what I what I went with for the three wise men was uh, from the Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, Dumbledore, and Doctor Stephen Strange as the three wise men. I thought they would uh, fill those shoes pretty well. We have Clarence the Angel from It's a Wonderful Life. Who might you imagine? Well, for me, role? I've got, because one of my favorite films is John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, I, I still like The Thing from Another World, the 1950s Howard Hawks film, as my favorite genre, one of all time. And this John Carpenter's The Thing was a, is, is very, very good. And Wilfred Brimley. Um, who I think at one point was selling oatmeal or insurance or something or other, or oatmeal insurance in case oatmeal kills you or something. I'm not sure what he was doing. <laughs> but uh, Wilfred Brimley um, is my Clarence. That's, you can't lose with Wilfred Brimley. Um, 
there was something about Clarence and his naivete and his gentleness that made me think of uh, Data as, uh, by Brent Spiner. Um, I, I, can, I can see Data doing this role for some reason. I think it would be fantastic. I don't... And then uh, following Clarence, we have the fellow he comes to Earth to help, and that's good old George Bailey, good old savings and loan George Bailey. Um, and I have a few Georges for you. Oh, very um, nice. I've got George Clooney, uh, George Clinton as a possibility. Oh, that's a funky have, one. Yeah, and I also have George of the Jungle. Nice. Uh, as the three possible Georges for George Bailey. But to be serious, I was thinking more George Clooney in that role. Yeah. He's the likable everyman. Um, we are moving out of our traditional Christmas. This is like a, almost a, a weirdly mini version of our short and your George Bailey. Oh my, sorry. My George Bailey. You're right. Dave. Sorry. Uh, look, let me look through my, my scrawled writing here. Uh, my George Bailey is Shatner, Mr. William Shatner. Or what we refer to as the D Shatner, the shot, the shot, the shot. Yeah. <laughs> here is our, uh, we got two final really outside of the box categories because I have made the, the point for a long time that the shining if, if, if Die Hard can be a Christmas film, maybe The Shining can be a Christmas film. It's about a family. It's set at Christmas. They're kind of together. Um, but in the book as well, it is set directly over the holidays. So there's a case for that, perhaps. Anyway, so if we, if we are putting The Shining within the realm of Christmas stories, we've got the twin girls from Kubrick's film. And David, who would you have play the twin girls in our festive version of The Shining? Uh, I would go with the Olsen twins from Full House. I think just imagine, you know what? First of all, The Shining is one scary film. And you've got the kid and you've got these twin girls down that cor that white corridor. This is all Kubrick at his best. And that's scary. Twins already are scary. Okay, just generally in horror films, I mean, I mean, generally just twins are fine. They're like, let's not try to get ahead of ourselves. But can you imagine <laughs> the Olsen twins being down that corridor? That would scare me even more. I would just start running. Come and play with us, Daddy. If I was going to uh, take the easy way out, I would go with the Wonder Twins from uh, Super Friends. But I'm not taking the easy way out. I and, and I'm going to push the boundaries of folks uh, knowing their genre here. But hey, if you're a fan of the Two Old Farts, good chance you might know this. So Richard Benjamin was in a show called Quark, a short-lived show, uh, almost as as brief or as um, uh, sort of part of lore as Devon's Lair, but Quark uh, featured the characters Betty One and Betty Two, played by the twins Trisha and Sib Barnstable. Um, so I'm going to go with the Barnstable girls as my uh, 
twin twin girls, and it really might give Danny something uh, to be staring at, other than in sheer horror. Yeah, and they may show up again in our um, February, our our um, Val- Valentine's Day. Let's not say it's a Halloween day. It's a Valentine's Day um, episode that we're looking for, uh, sort of like genre um, loves or or um, uh, things loves like or lusts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so certainly um, the kind of thing where you've got the beefcake and cheesecake. So they may show up there. Um, and this last category, which you can introduce, was an idea, but this is sort of really outside the box. I like this one, David. The actual blood that comes out of the elevator in the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. Who would play this role? Okay, well, the person that would play the blood, I thought, would be best would be Johnny Depp. Um, who can basically play anything. So if you want blood coming out of an elevator, then why not have Johnny Depp play that blood? Yeah, why not? He can, he can do it all. Yeah. I mean, in fact, it, no, I'm not going to go with DiCaprio. Um, <laughs> I, I am going to go with another uh, superhero character from DC Comics, Metamorpho. And I believe Metamorpho had the ability to change himself into such substances. I'm going to believe such. I'm I going- guess we left out Odo from DS9 could have, of course, done that as his shapeshifter thing. And he would actually be in fluid. Like he, there was this little bowl or some sort of a thing that he would then, you know, to regenerate or to sleep, he would go into this amorphous mass um, of liquid um, and then reform himself later. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he could certainly play it. And I think, I think we have covered it all. Oh, I have yeah. one last, I have one last question, David, um, that relates to Krampus. Uh, if you had to choose creme brulee or macaroni and cheese with hot dog casseroles, casserole. Yeah, I think I would pick the creme brulee on that one. Yeah, I think I would too, even though the other would be more filling and it has its comfort food merits to it, especially if I had some ketchup to go along with it. But yeah, I'll go with the creme brulee as well. Dream casting. Yeah. Dream casting, baby. <laughs> So anyways, that's our holiday extravaganza part two. And, uh, you know, we really want to thank each and every one of you who has uh, checked the show out. Um, We've had a great year with you so far. I hope you all have super holidays, whatever you celebrate, whatever you don't celebrate. Uh, Let's get through this winter together. Um, So hopefully we can help you do that. You can check out more episodes, our back back episodes our previous episodes um and you can also if you're really inclined you can check us out on our socials um with your favorite podcast provider check out our website uh, numeric 2of.ca we're on twitter at two old farts that's a numeric two at two old farts sci-fi and on facebook at two old farts talk sci-fi we are the old farts i am david clink And I am Troy Harkin.
See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi. Happy New Year and a Happy Christmas and here's Ringo. Thanks, George. I'd like to thank you just for being fans. It's been a funny year, you know. One minute we're in England, next we're away. Expect you're wondering where we've been. So well, Beatle people, <laughs> we've been to Australia and America and New Who's chopping that? New Zealand. And Australia. And New Zealand. Is that New Zealand? <laughs> so much travelling, but you've stayed loyal. Haven't you? Anyway, those airport receptions knocked us out, man. Great. Okay. Well, that's about it from me. I'd just like to say all the best for Christmas and a happy new year. Christmas! Happy 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 Christmas